Good morning. Very. Thank you all. Thank you all for coming. My name is uh, Pastor Joe. I'm one of the many pastors here on staff, and it's my pleasure to be with you. Uh, we have a lot of text to get through today, so if you could turn in your Bibles to John chapter 11, we're going to close out uh, the rest of that chapter. We're going to conclude the story um, of Lazarus, and I just want to point out to you the story is not just the story of Lazarus. It's the story of Martha and Mary as well, and it's very specific to uh, really, the relationship that they have with Jesus Christ. And so I just want to let you know, this is going to be the last great miracle that Jesus is going to perform in the book of John. So it's kind of a, a, an exciting turn for, we know that he's going to uh, kind of go into a recluse right before Passover. But I want to let you know that this is the interesting format that the book of John presents. He does his first miracle at a wedding. And he does his last miracle at a funeral. And I want to let you know that you can see that there is a purpose behind all of it. It is to serve and support families. You can see most of the miracles that took place throughout the book of John was to protect uh, and, and to raise up families. So you can see from the beginning, there was saving face at the, at the wedding, right? For the, for the wine that Jesus made. But then also at the funeral, it was what? To bring a broken family back together. So it kind of shows you in the beginning and in the end, the heart of Jesus Christ. And I want you to see that as we get through. But this is the conflict that we enter into this particular story. Uh, where we, have, we see that Jesus has been delayed in coming back to Bethany. Uh, just so you guys know, Martha and Mary were nursing their sick brother. And he was very, very sick. This wasn't like he had a cold. They were like, oh, he's going down. So they sent a messenger in the beginning of chapter 11 and a runner made it all the way to Jesus and said, you need to come. And Jesus did not come right away. He was about a Tuesday's journey, but he waited two days before he walked for two days. And so it took him about four days to get there. And therein lies the conflict for Martha and Mary, right? And so they are now caught up in a season of what if. They're in a season of managing expectations, aren't they? Jesus, I asked you specifically, I know you have the power to do this. And we know that he had the power to do this because he's done it in multiple ways, right? He's laid hands on people and they've got healed, right? He's even spit in the mud and put it on a guy's eye and he got healed. He's even told a father that by the time you get home, everything's gonna be okay. And that father's dying son was fine when he got home. And so now you can see that what's going through is that we have two sisters that are acknowledging the power and authority of Jesus Christ, but they're now entering into a season of like, but why? Explain this to me. I'm, I'm lost. I'm confused. But Jesus is going to respond very dramatically in equal force back to them because I want to let you know something. He comes to the middle of their story and puts himself in the middle of it. And that's the, that's the point of the book of John. The whole series that we're going through right now is so that you may believe. Why are we reading the book of John, the book of John even says it, so that you may believe. Believe in what? That Jesus Christ is the full power and authority of your life. And so we're going to pick up where we left off, but we're going to kind of just overlap a little bit. We're going to start with Martha's experience back in verse 21, and then we'll connect it to Mary's. So join me in verse 21. It says, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And that's the crux of this chapter. Do you believe this? 
Verse 27, yes, Lord, she says, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And you can see just by that little section how Jesus recalibrated her back onto what was to be on track for her relationship with God. See, we're not just managing crisis. We're getting to know the God of our crisis. And that's what's happening right here. And she's saying, you know, yeah, if you had been here. And it wasn't like she just expressed disappointment. It wasn't like she was chastising Jesus. She wasn't, she was, hey, if you had been here, things would have been different, but now you're here. So I don't know what's gonna happen. But I know that my brother's been, you know, dead for a while. And that's the thing that we're going into. When we go into our prayer request, are we asking God for things? Are we asking for him to do in his work and his power and his glory to change our life and change our story? Because we could always say this, you know what, I'm lonely, I need love. But that's true, but that's not the full story. You need God's love. You know, I, I'm, I'm full of anxiety and I'm full of fear. There's things that's hit me left and right. And you do need peace, but more than that, you need the Prince of Peace. You don't just need a temporary reprieve for a temporary situation because after that, what's gonna happen? Another crisis and another crisis. But if I reach over here and I have my Savior's hand, that's different. I am not walking alone. And that's what the Lord is saying. I am the Prince of Peace and I am now entering you into my kingdom and I need you to see what it's like to walk and talk with the royalty of heaven. And as I make you a royal priesthood, I need you to operate just like me. I will show you. And so that's what we're looking at right now. And I have to say this, I, I've always found this like a fascinating moment. Like I have hit like skids in my life. I've hit empty moments, desert type moments as we call it, where it's just like, where is God? I just feel so dry. And I just think about it. The Lord just kind of looks at me and is like, you know, you, you feel like you're standing in a desert. Your lips are parched. You can barely swallow. And yet a waterfall is standing right next to you. Will you just turn and receive Jesus Christ? And not just receive him as your savior, but receive him in all things. If he can be the God of your salvation, can he be God of your situation? Absolutely. And that's why the Lord comes to her and says, in this moment, I know you're looking at a death and I know you're looking at it like, mm, that's final, but I wanna let you know something. I speak with authority. I am the resurrection. I don't just give resurrection. I am the resurrection. So open your eyes. Don't see the death. I want you to see death doesn't rule here. I do. I mean, that's a definitive statement. We could, we could translate it that way. Death does not have the final say, I do. Come to me. And not only come to me, hold my hand and walk with me through this ministry. And I just want to point out also here too, in this text, Jesus is not really addressing her comfort, is it? Is he? He's just going, I know this is a terrible situation, but we're about to do some work. I want to let you know, his, your comfort is not his chief concern. His glory is. But if we can get us to see, walk from the desert and into the waterfall, we will learn to enjoy his glory for all of its power and all of its authority. But more important than that, it's concern for us. And that's where we can get that joy and that strength. Look at John uh, chapter 11. If you go back to verse four, it says, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Um, I want to let you know something. We will never be able to enjoy God's commands until we see his glory. And we will never see his glory until we're obedient to it. Because either we're making up a God of our own or we're trusting the God of this Bible. Either we're trying to design God to tell God to be the genie in the lamp, to do things the way that we want him to do, or we're going to trust him to shape us and mold us into people that are fully reliant and have a hunger and an appetite for his glory. Otherwise, we're dictating and he's dancing. And that's not how this relationship works. And there lies in the lesson for the rest of chapter 11. Look at verse 28. After that, 
She had said that she went back and called her sister Mary aside. And the teacher is here and he is asking for you. And I love this because you're seeing a little something of, of, of culture in here. You're also seeing a little bit of care and concern. Christ wasn't unaware of what was going on in Mary. I don't know if you know anything about church history and the story of, of Martha and Mary. Martha is the super practical one. And Mary's the emotional one and the like, kind of like free-spirited one. Initially, when Jesus was hanging out with them and he was very close to his family, Mary was at the feet of Jesus, just learning as he's teaching. And Martha's going around, does everybody have enough to drink? Does everybody have enough to eat? Did I make enough hors d'oeuvres? And you know, Jesus is like, why don't you just come and sit down? Because what I'm giving out is more important than what you're doing. Now, culturally, when a uh, person dies in the family, most of the women and most of the family, but definitely the women, would stay in the house for 30 days and just mourn. And you're going to see how that plays out in this story. But what's interesting here is Martha, the practical one, is the rule breaker now, right? She's overcome with emotion, and she runs out to Jesus. Where were you? I needed you. We needed you. Lazarus needed you. And where is Mary, the emotional one, struck in with grief, but staying right where she should need to be? And so you can see how emotion has changed the way that they think. And you see the uh, emotions and the, and the crisis has altered the way that they normally move. And Christ is not unaware of that. Christ goes, where's Mary? Now, Mary's usually the one that would be right here. Jesus, I just want to hear from you. But she's not there now, is he? So what does Christ do? He meets her in her pain. He finds her where she's at. Mary, I need you to come out to me. Where you're at right now is not good. And I want to let you know, there's something that's going on between Mary and Martha and Jesus. He's tailoring a plan that's specific to each one. So if you're in this room and you react to things differently than other Christians, that's okay. Same Jesus. Jesus is not unaware. If you have a problem or a struggle that you just can't promote yourself to do things the way that people, like maybe when crisis hits, you're not the first person to start turning on praise and worship music and dancing around the house, Christ knows. But Christ will also meet you where you're at and build basically an agenda for you because what does he want to do? He wants to grow us as Christ followers and promote us to be fully reliant on him. Are you fully relying on him? Are you more like the world? Are you more like your emotions that the moment thing hit? That's who you identify with or do you identify with Christ? Look at verse 29. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And then when the Jews had been with Mary in the house comforting her, notice how quickly she got up and went out. And they followed her supposing she was going to the, temp- the tomb to mourn. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And I want you to hear it. It's the same thing that Martha said, but it's said in a little bit different, of, a different kind of context here. She just doesn't believe that there's any hope. And I want you to know that that's what the Lord is doing right now. He's bringing a ministry to the both of them. And I want to bring up this first point Jesus' ministry to you is to bring God's power and authority in his love or through his love. We all know that Jesus Christ is very powerful. We all know that God has full authority. Most people wouldn't be here, but not all of us can experience his love unless we acknowledge how he has come to us. I'm going to give you the case in point. A few summers ago, I was driving in the car and the AC went out in the middle of July. And the first thing I cried out was, God, you have abandoned me to full humidity and full heat. I am alone and I am forsaken. And I had to just cry out and the Lord was like, you just need to get your AC fixed. 
Um, but I just want to let you know, but isn't that our first call? The moment that something bad happens, we think that it's a commentary on how God feels about us and what the situation is. But we also start to manage our expectations by bringing them low. We don't even know what God's about to do. We have zero idea about what God is about to do. And we're already telling him where the failure is. And yet we don't even know how much he's going to grow us to be more reliant on him, our faith grown in him, because we don't know what he's going to do through this situation. And you can see that even when the disciples get sent out in the boat. I don't know if you know the story of the storm, but Jesus puts all the boys in the boat. He sends them out into the water. He stays on a mountain and prays, right? And then they're rowing and then a storm comes and all night long, they can't even get to any side of the sea. Why? Because they're lost in the ocean and they're doing it in their own strength and they're completely worn out and now they think they're gonna die in the darkness, in the waves, alone, just them in the boat. And then what does Jesus do? Which, by the way, I don't know if I would have appreciated as much as disciples. Jesus comes walking, and it really describes him as really kind of joyful. He's like, be of good cheer, I'm here. And I'm like, can you stop the storm, and then we'll talk about that. And Jesus is saying like this, hey, I need for you to see that all my power and my authority is coming to you in love. I'm here to take care of you. He could have been like, oh, ye of little faith, I'm done with you. I need 12 more new disciples. Just think about that. Did Jesus come to Mary and Martha with anger? No, because this story would have totally turned out different. Did he come to them in judgment? No. What did he come to them? In compassion, knowing fully where they are. He knows where you are and where he needs you to get you, and he will bring you through that situation to grow you. But we have to be the people that are the sheep that are led by the shepherd. And that's what Jesus has been saying this whole time. And I want to let you know, everything that we're experiencing is everything that Jesus is fighting against. Think about this. Think of everything that sin has destroyed in people's life, including death. And death has led to broken families, destroyed faith. Think about this. Death has le- or sin and death has led to the severed relationship with God. And more importantly, stolen eternity. And that's what the Lord is coming. I need you to see that this is what I'm fighting. And when we wrestle, we're wrestling against our expectations of what we think God should be doing versus what God is actually doing. Look at verse 33. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And this is fascinating to me because the Lord has not shown up, like I said, in judgment. He has not shown up in anger. He has showed up in compassion. Now, it will say in some of your translations of your Bible, if you have different translations, that he almost snorted, like he was angry, but he was a frustrated Jesus. And there's two different emotions here. There was a a deeply moved and a troubled. And the first emotion, like it says, is a very like, ah, why is this even happening? And you have to ask yourself, why would Jesus get that way? Just think about the Jesus of creation, the God of creation, the one that oversaw Adam and Eve, who saw the Garden of Eden and what was meant to be. And now where is he standing? at a funeral. Think of what Jesus is going through. Why does this scene even exist? Because of sin. So you could say here that he's super angry with the devil. He's super angry with sin. And he's super angry that the people that he loves absolutely have to go through this. But I don't believe that he's completely angry with the people. I mean, he might not be overjoyed that they're not super faithful. But think on this. The earth was never meant to be a cemetery. Now the God of creation is standing before the stones that he created, looking at it, holding one of his best friends. Look at verse 34. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. The shortest verse in all of the Bible. Jesus wept. Now, 
This is interesting because sometimes you can kind of think of this as like one of those things where like if it was a movie, there'd be a slow zoom in and there'd be a single tear down Jesus' face. But this is actually more than that. This is controlled sobbing. This is him fighting the deep pain inside and he is deeply moved. But what is he moved by? Our loss. Just think about that. The perfect man that never knew sin is watching people ravaged by sin. What is the wages of sin? Death. And he is standing there and he's saying to us, even in his perfection, I know, I understand, and I feel it. And so you have to ask yourself when you're looking at this verse, God is not removed from your situation and your suffering. He's right in the middle of it. Lots of different thoughts on this verse. Some people believed that he was very upset and wept um, because he just was weeping for his friend because he feel it. And some people, actually a lot of Jewish people, believe that the reason why he wept is because he came late. I'm going to give you another reason why I think he wept. Um, I think he wept because he called Lazarus back. I'm going to put that in perspective for you. You die, you wake up, and you get golden lemonade from Moses. And King David asked you to play volleyball with angels on golden, golden sand. And you're having a grand old time and the AC is perfect and everything smells great and you don't even sweat while you're playing volleyball. And then you hear Jesus' voice come back and you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, let's talk about this. But I would ask you this, if anybody in the earth would know what it means to leave heaven to come down to Rome-occupied Israel, chock full of Pharisees who don't really believe the Bible, tax collectors robbing everybody, corruption running amok. In your perfect world, your promised land, would you want to go back or would you want to stay in heaven? And so I feel like you can hear the encouragement of the Lord that he's like, I understand there's emotional pain, but there is a ministry that needs to take place. These people need to see my power and my authority, but they need to see it through my love. And so I believe he kind of cried for Lazarus. You know, there's an ancient Jewish uh, legend that when, when Lazarus was, uh, came back, he never smiled again. Like, that's not scriptural, but you could understand why. <laughs> Lazarus, it's great to have you back. Mm -mm. <laughs> Literally playing sh like shuffleboard, you know, with, with Abraham. It was awesome. I don't want to be here right now. I don't know if that's true. That's not scriptural, but it's just it's kind of funny to think about. But I want to hear your feeling. I want you to hear the feelings of Christ as he thinks of his people. I want you to look at Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 said as he was writing a letter to the people of Ephesus, he said, these are the words of him who hold the seven stars in his right hands and walks among the seven golden lampstands. And just to give you a little crash course in Revelation, those seven lampstands are the seven types of churches that are throughout the world. He's specifically writing to seven churches in Revelation. But look how Jesus says it. I'm not far away from my church. I'm the high priest, but what do I do? I walk among my church. I'm in the situation. And who is he writing to? He's writing to all kinds of churches that have all kinds of church hurts. Some are being persecuted. Some are getting destroyed. Some are getting run out of town. And what is he says? Oh, oh, I'm not far away. I'm part of that. I'm running with you. I'm with you. Wherever you go, I go. If you get exiled, I'm going with you. And that's kind of a, a beautiful thing when you hear Christ say, I'm walking with you with every pain and hurt that you're in. And listen to the heart that he says in Matthew chapter 25. When describing about taking care of people, he says, he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. I will let you know that having children has really opened my mind and my heart to the heart of the Father and what it is to have a Messiah. If one of you slapped my kids, it would be like slapping me. And I, you would see a different side of me raise up because I would feel the underdog side of my kid who can't defend himself and I'm called to protect. And you know what you do? An attack on my family is an attack on me. 
And that's what you can hear in Jesus Christ. What you didn't do for the widows, what you didn't do for the orphans, what you didn't do for people who couldn't take care of themselves, you did it to me. I feel their pain. I hear the words and the prayers of those that are hurting and lost. And he doesn't even go, those are my people. He says, me. I'm in the middle of it. I have compassion and I have care for these people. Why? Because I'm invested. Me and these people are like this. And you can even hear in the way that he talks to Saul on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter nine, he says something very profound here. He says to Saul before he renames him Paul, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute Calvary Chapel? Is that what it says? Does he say, why do you persecute my Christians? Why do you persecute me? Just think of how profound that is. Whatever they're going through, I'm going through. All the people that you locked up, all the people that you had killed, that's me. I'm with them. That's family. It's a very powerful statement. That's why I would love to say this in this next slide. Jesus loves us by showing up in our lives himself. Remember what we said, he wants to show us all the power and all authority through his love. He shows up by expressing that love, by in all power and authority, walking and talking and going with you through everything. There's nothing more close than that than you can see. And I love how John chapter one, which is the opening chapter of this book that we went through, it says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and out of the fullness we have received grace in the place of grace already given. I'm gonna give you like a great translation of that. The grace that you received is that the king of heaven was sitting on a throne covered in robes of righteousness, being attended to by angels, being worshiped in heaven and decided to come out of that situation to come down into this broken world and this broken mess to sit with you. Even when you rejected him, even when you were rebellious against him, he loved on you and left that place to walk with you so he could bring you back to eternity. There is nothing more grace-filled than that. I love you, I'm with you. And look at how the Jews respond when they look at Jesus' face in verse 36. See how he loved him. They can see that investment on his face. You're Messiah, crying deep tears in front of death. But some of them said, could not he open the eyes of the blind man and have kept this man from dying? And you can see that this is the moment that we're all waiting for. Jesus, who are you? What is your plan? What are you going to do? I've seen you do other stuff for other people. Why not me? Look at verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. And I love this. Could, Could the God that made the stone not say, stone, roll away? And yet, no, what does he say? All the people that are here that are crying with me, let's lay hands on this together and let's roll it away. You see, Jesus' ministry is pulling you into his ministry. And what is his ministry about? Well, we see he's about to do resurrection. Spoiler alert, if you've never heard Lazarus. But inside of this, he's saying, I want you to be a part of this. I want you to be co-workers. I want you to see that I'm not just doing this in a situation where I want you to see what I do. I want you to be a part of this kingdom. Let's think about what he said to the lame man. He, there, is an oper, there is a participation and an operation that we have responsibility for. Lame man, when he lowered the mat through the, through the roof, right? The four friends, what did he do? Pick up your mat and go. Blind man, even though you really have to wash your face because I spit in the mud and put it on your eyes, so now you really do have to wash it. Go and wash. God's gonna do work in our life, but we have to go do work with him. But what is that work? The work of love, the work of restoration. But look at the next part where it says, but Lord said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor for he has been there for four days. 
anybody has the King James Version, you have the best version. It says, he stinketh. I always think it's funny. I'm like, is that really the real translation? But that really is. But there's a kind of addressing what Pastor Ryan said last time we were in this chapter, and he did a great job. There is a belief that for about three days after a person died, their spirit was kind of like hovering around. And so some people believe that if he was there, he was just, Jesus kind of like, even though that would be miraculous, right? He just pushed the spirit back in the body. It wouldn't be as powerful, but Jesus waited, what, four days. So even by Jewish myth and lore, that spirit is gone. But even more than that, if we resurrect this person, listen to practical Martha being practical again. I don't know if we want to resurrect this body. If he comes out looking, I don't know what he's going to look like. I don't know what he's going to smell like. I don't know what we're going to be dealing with for the rest of his natural life. I don't know how long you're going to keep him around, but it ain't good. But see, she's already limiting God's what? Power. And she's also limiting what she thinks his love for him is. Because what if he was just practically like, Lazarus, come out. I hope you can deal with him. He stinks. And then walks away. We, we're not thinking it through with Jesus's heart. We're not thinking it through with Jesus's mind and compassion for people. And I love that that she says that. But look what Jesus says. Jesus is never not outdone by anybody. And look at his question back to them. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Once again, every miracle has to show you the power and authority of God, but to show you in what context, in his love. Just because you don't understand the situation doesn't mean that God doesn't have a plan. And just because your little finite brain and your experience doesn't, can't see all the avenues and power and, and opportunities that are open to the Lord, that we could stand before the Lord and go, I don't think it's going to work. And look at Jesus. And I would let you know, this is how I interpret it when I read this. Okay, you don't know anything. Let me do what I do. I think there's a certain point that we have to acknowledge that he is God and we are not. I've never, you can hear it in Job, right? Where were you, Job, when I laid the foundations of the world? How do you even make water and control it? How do you make all of this? And Job was like, well, I should, I should not have even opened my mouth. Because 38 chapters later, you are right, Lord. And that's where this is. The Lord is speaking to him and going, won't you just let me be God? But I want to call you into the ministry. He didn't push Mary and Martha aside. He called them in. Look at verse 41. So they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you have sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And just think about the power that is being laid out here. It's the power of the supernatural. Brings us to our next point. The natural has to obey to the authority of the supernatural. And that's what we're talking about. We are the natural. But think of even that word, supernatural. Doesn't even by the word sound more powerful? The supernatural has to give way to authority. So when we are talking to God, sometimes we limit or manage our expectations from our limited experience. I'm only this powerful God. But Jesus' voice is so powerful. Just think about just his words. Jesus didn't physically reach into the tomb. He spoke to the tomb. And a couple of different things happened. Number one, Lazarus comes back to life. Number two, he reaches past decay. He reaches past decay. He restores what was broken. He restores what sin had stolen. The beauty that was supposed to remain immortal, completely ravaged by death and decay. You know, I get freaked out sometimes now. If I leave yogurt out for a little bit, I can already tell. I'm like, it's turning, it's turning. That's the world we live in. But in heaven, you can leave yogurt out all day long and it'll be perfect. But that's what the Lord has power over. Who are we talking to? Not only did Jesus just speak to the tomb, he reached all the way to heaven and called somebody back. Do you even know how to do that? And yet by just command, command. I don't know if you guys have this, Alexa, what's the weather today? 
and you feel so powerful. I feel like I'm living on Star Trek, right? You know, Alexa, tell me, tell me something cool. What's the news? Gives me all the news updates. And yet, that's a little, that's a little tiny power I have. But I, can you speak to the tomb of your loved ones and say, come back? Who are we, gui- who are we being guided by? Who, who is loving us? Who is showing us the way? If not, but the creator of heaven and earth. It's time for us to relax and receive and trust and obey and submit everything that we have in the natural to the supernatural. Look at verse 44. The dead man came out, amen. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. I want to um, take this time to put up this point. Jesus' ministry takes away the power of the enemy. You know, at some point, the enemy is called, like the devil is called your accuser. He points and goes, Joey is a sinner. And by sin, the wages of sin is death. And then Jesus Christ goes, absolutely, I rule in your favor. But guess who's going to pay that death? Me. I want you to know the name. There's a, there's, a, there's a little something that's happening right here. And Jesus doesn't do anything. God doesn't do anything um, without layers. People that go into my Bible studies always know I talk about lasagna and tiramisu. God doesn't just do something at the surface. He goes down. The city of Bethany is also known as the house of affliction or the house of loss or the house of misery. But Lazarus' name is, but my God will help me. And kind of interesting, right? In the middle of my deepest loss, in the middle of the darkest moment, what's the worst thing that can happen to this body? Death. And yet death, which should be ruled and reigned by the the prince of this air, Satan, and sin, right? And ravage, and the Lord shows up and doesn't even have to do a battle. The Lord just shows up with a word and goes, change this, reverse this, restore this. Oh, but what if he stinks? He'll smell great. I mean, with a word, who has that kind of power? Who walks out on the waves and says, be of good cheer? Who says to to the storm, peace be still? Who says, go home and your son will be well? It not by the authority of the Lord. And what is it for? To remove the power of the enemy, to stop robbing us of a loss of hope. If all my hope is in Jesus Christ, then I'm not worried about what sin can or will do because I have the restoration of the most high. The supernatural gives way to the natural, or so the natural gives way to the supernatural. Why? Because I know Jesus Christ, not because he takes care of me. I know him on a personal level. He loves me and I love him. And we are walking in this life together. And that's what we have to do. We have to come to a place of rest. I don't know what the situation is, how it's going to unfold, but I know the God of the situation personally. So I'm going to sit back and let him do work. And that's what rest looks like. I'm full of hope. I don't need to know how to move the mountain. I just know that he knows how to move the mountain. And so I can do this in my rest. Rest gives way to faith and trust. I trust God to be good to me. I trust God to have a plan. Even if I die... That means I trust God with my life. I trust God with my death. Can you say the same when the Lord stands before you and like Pastor Ryan said last week, Lazarus, you're going to have to die and then you're going to have to come back. Would you trust him with that? Here's where Jesus has them now. Look at the, the last part of this verse. It says, Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. I love that too because Jesus is very fancy here in this situation. He's like, let's... Let, I mean, going back to the myth, I don't know how happy Lazarus is to be back. Let's give him some space. He might not be happy to be back here. I don't know what he was eating. I don't know. You know, he was having a great time. He was probably, you know, he was, you know, surfing on Saturn. I don't know what he was doing. He was having a great time. He was just doing a great thing. He's doing whatever he wants, but now he's back here. Let's just go let him have rest. Why? Because now the Lord is now still ministering to Lazarus. Isn't that amazing? In that moment, he could have been like, go tell everybody how awesome I am. 
But still, he has care and compassion for who? The guy that was just resurrected. Which brings us back to another point. Christ's ministry is to undo all that sin has destroyed. As you're looking at that slide, I, I, I want you to just hear where we're at. We've heard a lot of I am statements from the Lord. And he said a lot of things. And those I am statements are very powerful because he's saying I am, meaning I made myself this way. I'm the uncreated one. No one created God. I'm the only person that can say this. But he would say this, I am your shepherd because I'm shepherding you back to life. Do you know how to even escape sin and death without God? And that's why he would say, you have no place in a relationship with God without a high priest. I will be the high priest. I will be the door. I will be the invitation to God. When you said to yourself, I was in a dark place and I was lost and full without any hope, guess what the next part was? I will be the light. You were starving. You were looking for something good in your life. You just needed a little morsel of hope. I will be the bread of life. And his ministry was always leaving you from a road of death to eternal life. Not just life that you have it, but a life that is full. Full in what way? I have all hope and all faith in him that he's taking care of everything, which gives me the ability to Sabbath rest in him. And now I can just watch him work. That means the joy of the Lord is my strength. It is his pleasure to come down here and not condemn you, but to come down here and save you. And what is that? an immortal shepherd tending to an immortal soul to lead them back to what? Eternity. But all is not well in Bethany because you can see where the people who reject God's plan for eternal life, where are they operating? Look at verse 45. Therefore, many Jews who had, had come to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did and believed in him, right? That's what we're reading this book for, for belief. But some of them went to Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And the chief priests and the Pharisees called the meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is the man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. So here, the Jewish leaders are complaining. And I want you to hear and read between the lines what they're really saying. The Pharisees that are here right now are Pharisees that are installed by Rome, which means they are Rome-sanctioned Pharisees. They're the ones, even if they believe in the Bible, even if they teach the Bible, these are ones that are playing real nice with Rome. And that might not seem like a, you know, like a problem at first. Like, we'll just be this happy go-between and we'll make sure everything stays safe. But really what they're saying is we don't want to lose our position. We don't want to lose our lifestyle to the God of life. So if Jesus is going around resurrecting people, who are they really going to crown king? Who are they really going to start worshiping? Who are they going to start listening to? I'm going to let you know, if I was standing before a Pharisee and a Jesus, I would listen to Jesus especially if he was raising people at this time. Look at verse 30, uh, 49. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it's better for that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as a high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for the nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. I don't know if as we're going through John chapter 6, 7, and 8, you can see that they were starting to openly talk about killing Jesus because of the things that he was doing and challenging them on. This was the event that made them want to murder Jesus. I want to let you know if you are not in love with Jesus and you are, your lifestyle is fighting against the lifestyle that God's calling you into, let's think about what you're fighting against. The God of life is pulling you into everlasting life while the people that are stuck in sin and death are talking about death. 
It's all temporary. If we kill this guy that's raising people to life, we'll, get our, we'll keep our positions. But what are we really holding on to? The here and now, the temporary. It's going to pass. And then Jesus is going to install a kingdom that will last forever and he will be king. Which means, I want to let you know how dark these hearts are that are not seeing the light. I want what I want regardless of what he has to offer. But you would say, if we, if we could get in the time machine and go back to the Pharisees right now, you'd be like, you have no idea what you're missing. You're so, you're so primarily focused on yourself. You're so f- focused on your situation that you miss the God of your situation. And since you've missed him completely, you've, you've missed your shepherd. You've missed the light. You missed the invitation to Jesus Christ. You've missed the resurrection. Look at verse 54. And therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the people of Judea, And instead, he withdrew into the wilderness to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. So he's completely gone recluse. And when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many of them went up to the country to Jerusalem for their ceremony cleansing before the Passover. And they kept looking for Jesus. And as they stood in the temple courts, they asked one another, what do you think? Isn't he coming to the festival at all? But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that anyone who found out where Jesus was should report it so that they might arrest him. And so you can see that where we're headed, right? To the Passover. And we all know what that is. That's the last supper that's coming up. And I want to let you know how deep and final Jesus' care and concern for you is. He came to earth at great detriment to himself, right? People were going to reject him. People were going to reduce and belittle his ministry. But what were they going to do? They were going to kill him, but yet he still came for you, didn't he? He came to die for you at great risk at his own personal loss so that you could have eternal life. And I want to let you know something. You can see how deep this goes. The life that God is calling you into is the same one that you would see in 1 John chapter 5. This is the life that we live for now. This is the testimony God has given us, eternal life. That's why we're here, ministry of eternal life. And this is the life in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I rate these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. If we were alive at this time, you know how ridiculous the idea of dying again would be to Lazarus? Kill me. I know where I'm going. I have eternal life in the son. You know how peaceful that is? Actually, I hope you kill me because I want to go back. That's what I think Lazarus say. Get me, get me out of here. I don't want to be here. But just think about this. You had a disease of sin and death and Christ came to be the cure to walk with you through your, like everything, your, your wins, your losses, your mistakes, your failures, to raise you back to death, raise you from death back to life. Why? Because eternal life is what we were made for. Adam and Eve were never meant to die. And Christ met you there. And he's like, you have a disease and I am the cure. And if you would just find out that I'm not here for temporary reprieve, I'm here to show you all power and authority through love. I don't come to condemn you. I'm pulling you in by grace into a life everlasting so that you could see that you were made for relationship. And what is that relationship made for? I am the father and you're the child and I want to share everything with you, including my righteousness. Galatians chapter three would say this and I'll close on this. Christ Jesus, you are in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ and have clothed yourself with Christ. I want to put this in your mind and your heart. When Jesus found you, even if you knew it or didn't know it, you were dead and dying and lost in your sins. 
and Christ found you covered in the death and decay of this world and said, will you take off your grave clothes? But the only way for you to do that is if you let me put on your grave clothes and take my righteous robes. Does that sound like anger? Does that sound like judgment? Does that sound like hate? No, that sounds like care and concern. And so Christ stands before you. Whatever is broken in your life, whatever you're fighting, whatever, however far you think you are from God, whatever you think sin has stolen from you, no matter how damaged you think you are, I have come to be the fixer for all of that. So if you would let me take off what you were wearing and wear that and put that on the cross and will you take my righteous robes? All of us would fall at his feet right now and say, holy, holy, I don't deserve this. And he goes, I know you don't deserve it. That's why it's a gift and I give it to you. Will you just put it on? And so we all stand here completely healed, completely restored, completely redeemed by God only because he loves us. We were dead. He's the resurrection. And he says, with a hand reached out, take my hand and walk with me from here to eternity and I will take care of life, death, and everything in between. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you and I praise you for this day. I thank you for how good you are. I thank you that you are just such a gracious host that you call us to heaven and we're not even prepared, but you give us eternal righteous robes that are yours, that will last. Lord, I just thank you and I praise you that I am a sinner and you give me forgiveness. I thank you that I'm full of fear and you give me faith. I thank you, Lord, that I am just a broken sinner and you give me, cover me in grace that is so rich and luxurious, it's befitting of heaven. I don't deserve any of this and yet you freely give because that's your heart. You love your people and you love to shepherd them to grace. So Lord, I pray that if anybody is here right now that feels far away from God, speak to their heart through this sermon, through this passage, through these notes. Let them know that you love them and that you are theirs and they are yours. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.